0: We pick up where we left off a couple of weeks ago in James, and I so appreciate my dear friend Dr. Bill Hackett speaking for me last weekend while I was out of town. And so we resume uh, chapter 2. We're going to start at verse 1, and we'll read down through verse 9 in just a couple of moments. But what James is talking about here is something that just sort of pings us all. In fact, I will go ahead and tell you ahead of time that this message is going to have a certain ouch factor uh, associated with it. And how do I know that? Because it did while I was working on it. And that happens in my life so many times while I'm working on the message that I believe that God is providing for me to be able to share with all of our church family. It's like God always words me over while I'm working on the talk that I'm going to give on the weekends. And just so many areas where I had to just sort of put my pen down and just reflect and evaluate and say, God, you know, how am I doing? Where am I? Where are my shortcomings? Where do I need to work? Where do I need to get better? You know, those kind of areas. And James is talking about an area that affects us all because all of us have, and this is what he's dealing with. You're going to see this. He's dealing with favoritism, favoritism. Now, we would like to say that we don't have favorites or we don't play favorites, but but all of us do. All of us do. And we maybe even do it subconsciously, but we do it nevertheless. Uh, I mentioned in the last service that um, uh, Kinley, you know, she's our, our granddaughter. She's two and a half. And uh, before, you know, she even knew how to communicate, before she knew what I was saying. Uh, or could communicate back. Now, let me, let me just say, this girl can communicate now. She can talk now, her her words, and she can understand and process. Uh, last weekend, they were with some friends uh, of theirs, and they, their friends have a little boy. His name is Noah. His name is Noah, and so our little granddaughter, Kinley was playing with Noah uh, while the parents were talking, and Noah walked off for just a few moments, and Kenley wanted him to come back over, so she looks up from what she's doing and says, hey, Moses, come back over here. Well, you know, she's a smart girl. She knows her Bible. She just got confused on the names, and I can, I can remember, you know, when she was very young, and I'd get scolded by my family a little bit afterwards because I'd pick her up. She's the first. I believe it's in the will of God that our kids should bless us with 12 grandkids over time. You know, not, you know, disciples and 12 and all. Well, you know. But uh, kidding aside, I'd pick her up and I'd whisper in her ear and I'd say, You will always be Paul favorite. And they'd say, Oh, you can't do that. And well, yes, I can. I'm our Paul Paul. I can say whatever I want. And no, no, you can't say that. And, you know, and, but. You know, that's just an innocent little deal where we play favorites, but we do play favorites. It generally doesn't impact us when we are in uh, elementary school. It's generally middle school because we become very self-conscious and awkwardness of middle school years, and, you know, we want to be cool. We want to be ultra cool, and so we want to fit in, and sometimes in fitting in with the right group or the in-group, it means that we've got to exclude or or disassociate ourselves from those that are part of the out-group that we don't want to be identified with. It's sort of cruel when you think about it in many respects, but, you know, we're just so, you know, I think... uh, a lack of self-esteem maybe where we're trying to find our own confidence and we can even make excuses for that but the reality is this starts showing up pretty early and uh you know brent our oldest son um he he was in middle school and we'd take him to school of course he he could not uh drive and so I would take him to school each morning, and the school was near uh, the church where we were serving at it at that time, and I would drop him off. And it just so happened that the parent's drop-off and pickup area was like very, very close to the front doors of the school, and all of his buddies, they'd gather sort of out front and just be hanging out. And Brent looked forward to hanging out with his friends a few minutes. You know, I wanted to get there a little bit early, so before school started, they could just hang out and sort of on the front lawn of, of the school there. And so I can remember, and I knew how it was. I knew he wanted to be super cool, and, you know, when you're in middle school, you don't necessarily want to be seen with your parents, and, you know, if you're a parent of a middle schooler, you know that that is so, and... And uh, that didn't affect me and it didn't bother me at all. And so I can remember one morning in particular when I'm pulling up to the school and I just thought I'd been, you know, just this random uh, thought hit my brain and I thought, oh man, this would be so fun if I can pull it off and make it happen. And it just so happened that I was able to. And so we pull up to the school. I see all of his buddies out front. I know he wants to get out. I know he doesn't, you know, he would prefer that I would have let him out like a half a mile, you know, before then. So he doesn't have to be seen with that and such. So we, we pull up in front of the school. Just as we're pulling up, I, uh, I, I have this concept, this idea in my mind, and I want to distract him, see if I can pull it off. And so I said, Brent, what is that over there? And when he looked, I noticed his hand had been in the front seat there, sort of between the two of us. When he looked away immediately, I grabbed his hand as fast as I could. I knew he would pull away, so I really got a good grip on it, and, and I held it up. All of his buddies, were there, and I held it up for all of his friends as though we had been holding hands all the way to school. And to add emphasis, I started honking the horn, <laughs> which he seemed to really appreciate. We've been holding hands all the way. Isn't this beautiful? Isn't it wonderful? And, uh, you know, he, he didn't... See, I, I enjoyed it, I think. I laughed a lot harder about it than he did. He didn't seem as amused by it. But we carry this over, and we play favorites. And you're about to discover that James is writing to the church, to a group of Christ followers, about this very issue. The major theme of the verses that we're going to look at this morning is that favoritism should never find its way within the context of a Christian community. And maybe a little background would be helpful here before we dive into today's passage. It's very important, I think, for you to understand that at the time that James writes this and the people, the body of Christ, the believers, the Christians that he is writing to, they're all a part of the Roman Empire. And at that particular time in the Roman Empire about 8% of the people 8% of the people had wealth there was another 2% that were gaining wealth but the remaining 90% 9 out of every 10 people of that population lived in conditions that we would describe as forbidding poverty abject poverty I mean my heart was moved I know yours was when you heard Maritza talking about these kids and this unbelievable poverty and their need for food and and shelter, and so this is the setting that James is speaking into, and with that in mind, I want you to look on the screen. We're going to start at verse 1. This is James, James chapter 2, and I want you to look at it carefully with me because he's dealing with this whole issue that we're going to talk about for the next few moments in regards to favoritism, and what what does he have to say about it? He says, my brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show what? Don't show favoritism. You can't do it. Don't let it be named among you. And then he provides an example. He says, in order for you to really get this, let me just take one segment of our culture. And because, you know, this, this was a pervasive attitude within the culture of the Roman Empire, show favor to certain groups of people and, you know, totally disregard others. So he provides them with an example. Look at it in verse 2. He said, suppose a man comes into your meeting. Actually, it would be a church service wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, you know, sort of a privileged place, but you say to the poor man, you stand there, or hey, better yet, you sit on the floor by my feet. Have you, James says, not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers, he says. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? And then he, you know, this is pretty strong. Next portion. But you have insulted the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him, him being Jesus, to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law, and we'll come back to this, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbors yourself. You are doing what? What does he say? You are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you what does he say about that? You, you sin, and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. And he's talking about it. this a culture that was seeping into the life of the church. It was again, it was so pervasive in the Roman Empire. And and what James is saying? Yes, but it cannot be named among you. There's a New Testament scholar, his name is David Nystrom, and he gives us a glimpse into the culture at that time. You'll see his statement up on the screen as well. Take a look at it. He says, Nystrom does, in the Roman world, that James is writing into, in the Roman world, the poor were faith, faceless nothings in the eyes of the wealthy. And James is just saying but that can't be true among you. You're, you're different. You belong to the body of Christ. You're, you're a follower of Jesus. You are seeking to embrace the teachings and, and the gospel of Jesus. And, and Jesus doesn't look at people that way. Jesus doesn't show favoritism at all. And he is warning them in this particular example about enthusiastically embracing the rich while at the same time demonstrating a disapproving attitude toward the poor. And James is saying, no, that can't, that can't be a part of you. It doesn't matter what you see, what you hear every day. It doesn't matter that this is in your face. You are different. You are followers of Jesus. You have been redeemed by divine grace. And when you think about this or any other context of life where there would be favoritism, he says in this regard, both should be welcome into the church. And both should be treated as equals because this would be the identical response of God. And how do we know that pertaining to God? We just look at the next verse. In fact, I'd like for you to read these words with me. Six words. Everybody read them with me. What does he say? For God does not show favoritism. And that's Romans and that's Paul. But, you know, James is saying that God doesn't show favoritism. And neither can you. It is not to be named among you. So if God and it's the point that James is wanting to make, and it's the point that I want to deal with today, and I you know, I say this with having to process and really think through this in my own regard and just say, God, is there any spectrum of life where I'm showing favoritism? And if so, root it out from me. So really what we've got to think essentially is this, if God does not play favorites, then why do we hold on to this erroneous notion that it's okay for us to play favorites? And we do this. We do this all the time. And we do it with various reactions. And what I'm suggesting that all of us do today is to just really, you know, do sort of a a moral inventory, do a spiritual timeout and just say, God, are there any areas in my life where I'm showing favoritism? Because this is really, James is really nailing this down. He just says, it can't be. I know, I know the pressure. I I know what you're hearing. I know what you're seeing every single day. But you've got to root that out because God does not play favor. God does not show favoritism and neither can you. And you can't favor one group over another. So I suggest that we identify where, where do we struggle? And and I'll give you some examples for you to consider, all of us to consider. For example, here's one. Do we do, like in this particular case that James is addressing in chapter 2, do we favor people who have an elevated net worth? Does my attitude have any variation between a person who holds, say for an example, a very, very expensive, prestigious, say, golf club membership and the guy in rumpled clothing... Who holds not an expensive membership to an affluent club, but who holds a bottle of water for sale on the side of the road? Do I treat this guy different from this guy? Do I play favorites with this guy over this guy And James would say, don't do that. God doesn't play favorites and you can't. And and the reason why, here is the embodiment of why we cannot do that because all people matter to God. Those with elevated net worth and those who have nothing. Here's another example. Do we favor people who say, have an impressive occupation? It's easy for us to do this. We do it all the time. We hold in high regard, the achieving, important, well-paid professional, and then we look differently differently the kid who says, maybe works at a car wash or who has some other thankless occupation that we really maybe doesn't, we don't even make really good eye contact or thank them or speak anything to their life. It's just like sort of grunt and go about our business. Here's another area. Do we favor a particular gender group? You see, it was commonplace in Jesus's day and I'm sad to tell you it's still true in many parts of the world today for women to be treated in a disparaging way. One time Jesus is having a a conversation with his own disciples, sort of his inner 12, and they go away. They go over into the next town to get something to eat, and Jesus stays behind. And when they come back, they're sort of shocked. They're bewildered by the fact that while they were away, Jesus has been engaged in conversation with a woman of all people. And they're astounded by that, and after that conversation comes to a, a, a conclusion, and she sort of walks away, they look and said, like, you know, Jesus, why are you talking to her? Now, now why, why would they have that kind of attitude? Because it was understood. It was an understood phenomenon in that day that a well-respected Jewish rabbi, as Jesus was, in fact, the most pronounced of all rabbis, that it was unthinkable that a rabbi would engage a woman in conversation because, again, they were just treated as second-class citizens. But both matter to God. Do we favor those who have our same skin color over those who do not have our same skin color? Why is it that we can so easily treat people differently because of their skin tone being distinct from ours? I was thinking about that. And why do we do that? Why do we sometimes prejudge people before we even get to know who they are? Um, How many of you know this? I am not a medical doctor. How many of you already know that? How many of you know that? I am not a medical doctor. How many of you are glad I am not a medical doctor? And if I was, how many of you would choose not to be my patient? Okay, I understand. But I started reading about this because, it you know, I was thinking about it. And there's this, and I know that we have doctors and medical people part of our church, and you can correct me if I'm wrong in this. But I was just thinking about it and researching it a little bit. Uh, You know, there's several layers to our skin. The outward, the most outer part of our skin is actually called the epidermis. And the epidermis is what, you know, there's protective mechanisms, the way that God has created us, but also it's the protection, but it's in the epidermis, it is in that outermost layer of our skin that holds our skin tone. And I thought about that, and I thought about sometimes, people never really get to know other people just because of that layer of epidermis. They never see beyond the skin tone. But all people, the Bible says, matter to God. Do we favor people based on their level of education? It can be engaging, I would add, and uh, I, I could not deny the fact that beneficial even to connect with people that are bright and articulate and creative, but I cannot treat them differently than somebody like my grandfather, who my grandfather worked hard his whole life. I mentioned him to you not long ago. Worked six days a week, 12 to 15 hours a day. And I can remember when my dad told me one day when I was a small boy, And he said, uh, have any idea how much education your grandfather has? I had no clue. I knew he had a ferocious work ethic, but I didn't know anything about his education. I knew he struggled to read, and I knew that I never saw him write anything, but I said, I have no idea. And my dad said, he only completed the third grade. Third grade is as far as he ever went. Now, do do I treat somebody like my grandfather differently than somebody that, no, because both the educated and the uneducated matter to God. What about this? Do we favor people based on their age? I mean, do we look and, hey, all of us would admit to be in the presence of youthfulness is is energizing. It's exciting. It's challenges. It, it's competitive. And, and we all like that. It brings a certain spontaneity and zest and energy to life. But do we treat youthfulness differently than those who are the age? Because when you look at it from God's perspective, all people matter to God. I was in Atlanta this past, um, weekend. And uh, so I had an opportunity to be with my family. And so hanging out with them and I, you know, told him I was going to be there because I always hear you don't come home enough. Why don't you come see your mama, your grandmother? Why don't you come? You know, so in in fact, when I told him I was coming, I I get to the house uh, from the airport and I'm like, uh, and I'm like, oh my goodness, what have I got myself into? Because I'm around my mother and my grandmother for just a little while. And I start hearing them already. Well, we're going, to the restaurant, Jeff is riding with me. Well, if he's riding with you, then he's going to sit by me. And I'm like, oh my goodness, please, please, Jesus, spare me of all, all of this. And maybe this is why I don't come as back home as often as I would like. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mention this, and we may have to trim it out because I think my grandmother listens in to these and goes online from time to time. But my grandmother, I, I, I noticed um, this time that she was walking slower I mean, she's 86 years old, so obviously you would think that. And we went to a a restaurant not too long after I'd gotten there. It's not the kind of place that any of you would want to eat. It was just sort of a family-style place where as soon as we sat down, they brought out, you know, these platters of, like, very, very hot fried chicken and roast beef and gravy and homemade mashed potatoes and green beans and coleslaw and peach cobblers, not the kind of stuff. You, you wouldn't even think about eating anything like that. But I was enjoying it. I ate, I ate, I ate and ate and ate. And uh, walking into the restaurant because I had to ride with my grandmother, I, I noticed that she, she walked slower than I've ever seen her walk. She calls it not her cane, but her walking stick. Could you hand me my walking stick? And I noticed we got out of the car, and and this is sort of humorous. If you just happen to be around, it's like we had this deal going, you know, the system. One, two, three, I hold her hand. on one, two, on three, I pull, and she gets up, and then she grunts a little bit, and then she starts walking. And I noticed that she walked slower. um, You know, again, hopefully we, uh, we may have to edit this out, but walked slower than I think she can actually walk. And I'm walking behind her and it's like a little step and a little step. And I'm thinking, man, I hope lunch is gonna still be served when we get and little step and smile at me and little step and I'm thinking, Hey, we probably missed lunch. I hope they're open for dinner, just little step and then I, I thought this is the same grandmother that when I was a kid got pulled over by a Georgia Highway Patrolman for going hundred miles an hour in her car. She's not going 100 miles an hour these days. I said to my uncle, you know, having a little fun, I said, I bet if they were about to close the door to the restaurant here in like 60 seconds, she could walk a little faster. (laughs) But she's just, you know, but, you know, she's 86. And and I just thought, man, you know, my grandmother, always a picture of energy and, uh, you know, funny and excitement and witty and just love being with her. Do you favor the young over the old? God would say, all matter to me. So James is saying, you know, don't show favoritism. Don't show it to anybody. And then he moves on, and I'll, I'll be real quick in this, in this part because I'm going to wrap up in the next few moments. He moves from that, and he says, listen, you be, I, I know it's in your face. I mentioned that. I know you're hearing it every day. I know you see it all the time. But James is saying to these in the Roman Empire, do not let it seep into your brain. Do not let it occupy space between your ears. Do not think that it is normal for a follower of Jesus to show favoritism because all people matter to God. In fact, James, it gets a little bit deeper into this passage we're looking at this morning, and he says, this is what I want you to do. Keep the royal law. You keep the royal law. And then he tells them what the royal law is. He says, you know what I'm talking about? The royal law that Jesus gave us, and it's found in the Scripture. And the royal law, he says, is this. In case there was any quandary as to what it really was, he said, the royal law that is found in Scripture is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. And we see that in the Bible. And it is the, you know, it is this idea that, you know, it is taken for granted, this assumption that we do love ourselves. And I would imagine the vast majority of us in this room right." Here right now, we we have this one nailed down pretty well. And how how do we know that we love ourselves? We demonstrate it in rather simplistic ways. We feed ourselves and we bathe ourselves and we sleep and we work out and we brush our teeth and we purchase clothes. But it's also apparent in the more complex ways that we love ourselves because of our thoughts and our will and our desires and our opinions. And those things matter to us because we matter to us. And you'd have to say that we love ourselves. And and God doesn't have a problem with us loving ourselves. In in fact, God loves us in in an extraordinary way. Rick Warren has written this. You cannot make God stop loving you because his love is based on who he is, not what you do. It is based on his character, not your conduct. This doesn't mean, he writes, that God approves uh, or lights everything that you do because he doesn't. But your sin does not stop him from loving you. So God loves us. And listen, friends, I'm just telling you, God doesn't have any problem with us loving ourselves. He just said this, love people the way you love yourself. It's what James is saying. Now go out and love people like you love you and love all people. Don't show favorites to anybody. You love all people. You love rich people and poor people. You love people with powerful and impressive occupations and those who stand on the lowest rung of the occupational ladder. You love people. You treat people with dignity and respect, men and women. You love yellow people and red people and black people and white people and brown people and old people and young people because God loves us all just the same and all people matter to God and because they matter to God, they should matter to us and Jay. James compels us to do this, not favoring any group over any other group. He just says you love them all. And you don't show favorites to anybody because all matter to God, just the same. I can't speak for you. I really can't. But I walked away from this text having spent hours in it. And when I got to the end, I just had to bow my head and say, I need eyes like Jesus because I don't always have eyes like Jesus. And I need a heart like Jesus because my heart is not always like Jesus. And I need a love like Jesus. Perhaps some of you are like this as well. Sometimes your thinking gets disordered. And the surrounding culture really does start seeping into your brain as well. Instead of the attitudes and the teachings of Jesus. Jesus. It says, do not play favorites. Do not show favoritism. All people, all people, all people, all people matter to God. I need the perspective of God's angels. Look at this verse, Luke fifteen ten. You see it on the screen. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. This heaven-inspired joy is for one who repents, and that one represents anyone, not just those who fit into our comfortable categories. Maybe even today, as we wrap up, and I want you to just hang with me for the next three minutes. Maybe even today you would say, you know, I want to help people that are very much unlike me. I'm so glad that James 2, 1 through 9, the passage, the way that it fell, we we wouldn't have been smart enough to be able to figure this out ahead of time. I wouldn't ought to have been, but I never dreamed that when we came to James 2, 1 through 9, that this would be the same day that we would have Maritza and Nicole with us, and that we would have an opportunity to help people that are so unlike us, to help orphans. We don't know about that. I mean, I can't tell you what emotionally I felt when when Marisa talked about that two-year-old and as soon as she said that little two-year-old boy that walked over to John and pulled on his pant leg and just, could I get your coat? Could I, could I just get some food? I couldn't help but think about my little granddaughter because she's two. And anytime I... I have her with me. I don't take my eye off of her for a nanosecond, not a millisecond. I I don't take my eye off of her at all. But when John and Maritza turned this little boy who's cold and hungry to see who he was with, he was with no one. So you and I have got an opportunity today to help people that are unlike us, orphans, and those who are steeped in unbelievable poverty, And people who are very, very sick, not because they will not go to a doctor. It's because they don't have any doctors to go to. And people who are lost. We can make a difference. We really can. I hope you'll partner with us on this because here's, you know, it's too late for us to sign up. I hope you'll do it next year. We can't sign up this year, but you and I can be a part of touching these orphans in Bolivia. And I'll tell you how we can do it. Our teams that are going to go down, it's going to be comprised of construction people who are going to work on this orphanage. And that's going to be a wonderful thing. It's going to be, going to be so helpful. There are going to be teams that are going to set up a medical clinic. People just like we have here at our church, medical people. Like Dr. Stuart Harrell, who many of you know, he shakes hands often before services. He'll take people through eye exams and we'll give people eyeglasses and they'll be able to see clear. To be able to think that they can have their eyes checked and vision and get medication, we will take all kind of medication. Why? Because they don't have it and they don't have access to it. And we'll have to buy it. We'll have to buy the glasses. We'll have to buy the construction supplies. We'll have to buy the medication. We'll have to buy the resources that we'll give to the kids and the evangelism. out. We, that, that doesn't, nobody gives that to us. We have to buy it. And in order to buy it, we know that the price tag, when you add up all of the construction materials and all of the medical supplies and all of the medication and all of the materials for the evangelism and outreach and everything that will happen in the medical part and the dental part and the optical part and the construction part and the outreach part, when you add it all up, it's about a $35,000 project. And we need your help. And I hope you'll do that. I hope that when I pray in just a moment, that you'll just say, God, would you speak to me? All people matter. And I'm going to ask you to help people that are so unlike you and people that you'll never meet. But God knows them. And God loves them. And God has blessed you and me so that we can help them. Now. I know what a lot of you are thinking. I, I get this full well. I, I'm not prepared to give today, and that's okay. You don't have to give it today. If you do have it today, and when you pray and you feel that God is speaking you to a mouth, first of all, don't, don't discount. If God gives you a, a, an amount that is like a little bit shocking to you, like really that much, I mean, consider that being God, because you probably wouldn't think about that on your own. I don't even know what I'm talking about. You wouldn't just come out with an outrageous number on your own and say, wow, So consider that that could be God speaking to you. And if God speaks to you to give that amount, you don't have to give it today, but sometime in the month of June toward this, it would bless a lot of these kids. It would be helpful to the people in that particular village and caring for their needs. So I hope you'll help us. If you're prepared to give today, give today, make it payable to Vitry Church, if you're writing a check, and just on the outside of the envelope, uh, just write Bolivia, where it says, other, just put Bolivia, now, here's the thing, I know a lot of you are not prepared to give, but you can sometime between now and the end of this month, this is first Sunday, there's three other Sundays coming, in that case, here's what I want you to do, take an envelope, and just write, do this, I mean, I'm, I'm serious, just write on there, I owe you, and then just put your name in the amount that you believe that God will want you to give, And if you don't have an envelope, just put it on a piece of paper. It will be so incredibly helpful for us to know, for us to know. We know what it's going to cost to get all of these supplies, medicines, all of this together. And it will be helpful to know what's going to come in toward that project. So would you do that? Would you bow your head even now while the ushers are getting in place? After this prayer, just hold steady. Don't leave while the offering is being received. Don't leave because right after they receive it, it will just take them a moment. I'm going to come right back up, mention one thing quickly, and we're done. But right now, where you're at, bow your head, close your eyes, and just say, God, speak to me. I know that I, I need to love everybody. I know that everybody matters. And, and God, I don't, I don't want to play favorites with anybody. And Lord, I'm, I struggle in some of these areas. And I know that there are those who are struggling today. I pray that you would just help us, God. Help us to fulfill the royal law, which is to love our neighbor as we love ourselves and that's all-inclusive. That's not just for groups that we are comfortable with. It's for all people. And God, I pray that, secondly, as we think about how you would have us to respond to this orphanage in Bolivia and help these little boys that are so, so in need. I pray that if you speak an amount to our heart that we will understand it's from you and we'll have faith enough to act upon it, to either give it today or to make a commitment today that we'll give it sometime in the month of June. And I just pray it. I just pray it in your name. Help us to hear and help us to obey in Jesus' name. The guys are going to take that. Here's what I'd like to challenge some of you businessmen and women with. Some of you, some of you you could give, I hope you'll give personally, but God has blessed your business. And I'd like to ask some of you business people to just really for this one, this is a pretty sizable project to, to really pray about. And again, you don't have to give it today, sometime in the month of June, to just say, God, What kind of substantial gift could I give toward this orphanage out of my business? And pray and ask God. And then, you know, believe that God will provide the resources. Again, we give it between now and the end of the month. Usher's gonna receive it. Hold steady and then I'll come back and dismiss us. Hey, stand with me everybody would you stand hey and thank you for being here today and let me just say I'm so proud of you thank you for your tremendous generosity helping these kids kids you'll never see so glad you were here today now let me just I wanted to take a moment and tell you you got to be back you've got to got to be back next week we're gonna pick up where we left off today uh, James sort of goes into a whole nother deal and I'll tell you when you read it, it's gonna be like okay what is he saying here next week I don't know of any other way to say it. We're going to swim in the deeper end of the pool because you read this and it's like, I I don't quite get it. But we're going to unpack it. We're going to explain it. And God is going to speak to us in a powerful way. So I want you to be here. Bring somebody with you. I hope you have an awesome week. I love you. Feel so blessed to be your pastor. Hope you have a great week. Bye-bye.